From The Great Gatsby to The Age of Innocence, from E.B. White's Here in New York through Modern Chick Lit, New York City has been immortalized in print time and time again. Today on Cityscape, we'll talk about the history of New York City books and give you some tips for summer reading in general. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and you're tuned to Cityscape from WFUV and WFUV.org. Thanks for listening. Today, we're joined by a distinguished literary panel to help discuss New York books. Tom Mellons is the curator of special exhibitions at the Museum of the City of New York. He's also the author of three books about the architecture and urbanism of New York City. Tom, thanks for coming in. Thank you. We're also joined by Margarita Shalina, a small press buyer for St. Mark's Bookshop in the East Village. Margarita, thank you. Thank you. And finally, Dwight Garner. He's senior editor of the New York Times Book Review and also the man behind the Paper Cuts blog at thenewyorktimes.com. Dwight, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I want to get from each of you what your criteria is for a good book. Dwight, let's start with you. Oh, God. You know, a, a, a good books are good books in so many different ways. You know, a great book, though, I think is just one that, that A, you just love reading. The pages fly by. On some level, it's got to appeal to you on, on, a, on a primal level. You have to want to be reading this thing. But on the other hand, you want to hear, um, you know, the best things people have said and thought. And, and that's what you want from a, from a good book and a good writer. Margarita, what about you? I, you know, I, I sort of religiously try to adhere to, to reading more small press titles than, say, large press titles. Um, in, in general, I mean, I avoid things that have large marketing bases to them. But for me, a good book is something that, you know, carries more by word of mouth, say, than by, I don't know, what's being featured at, at you know, large chain stores or what have you, and things that you lose yourself in, books that... You, you forget that you're reading and you just find yourself floating through in this kind of wonderful, otherworldly sort of way. So you'll pick up a book after a friend tells you about one? Yeah, that, absolutely. Tom, how about you? A, an art critic once wrote that good art is pleasurable to look at, but great art seems indispensable. And I think the same is true of books, that if you're reading a great book, you suddenly feel like it's telling you some essential truth, something that you really needed to know. And particularly if you're reading a book about the city, about New York, where you live and you experience it on a daily uh, basis, you you may, in in some sense, need to be reminded of essential truths about the city. And when you read a great book, uh, suddenly uh, I think you're given access to information that seems almost indispensable. It is amazing how many writers have been inspired by New York through the years, Dwight. Oh, I, I mean, you can just go on and on. I mean, it, it's funny. Calvin Trillin, talking about food, once said there's a certain kind of food or certain kinds of food, and he was talking here about things like bagels and bialys and, and whitefish that you can only find in close proximity to pavement, meaning, you know, they're, they're kind of New York City things. And I, and I think there's something similar you can say about books. I mean, you know, these great teeming social novels or, or big social novels of the 80s, like Bonfire of the Vanities, A Bright Lights, Big City. And going back, you know, I mean, classics, even talking about um, Henry James, Edith Wharton, the great social novels, and, and great biographies, Robert Caro's biography of Robert Moses. I mean, these are just great New York figures. And there's something teeming, a real life force behind these behind these books. What's been your favorite? Um, my favorite New York book? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. that That's a difficult question. I mean, you know, Catcher in the Rye, I mean, is one that sort of, you know, meant a lot to a lot of people when they were younger at any rate. Um, I think Robert Caro's biography of Robert Moses may be the single greatest American biography on, on, on some levels. And um, it's a brilliant story. It says more about power um, in this country and occasionally the misuse of it than any book I know. And, and reading it, you can get terrified. I mean, the idea that, you know, this guy who did a lot of great things, Robert Moses, was going to put these, you know, um, throughways through Soho. I mean, you just, you know, your mind, you shriek. How about you, Margarita? 
Oh, well, just building on that, I mean, the death and life of great American cities, the sort of response to that from Jane Jacobs is such a such a wonderful companion piece to the to the Caro biography um, of Robert Moses. I mean, that's that's something that we, you know, just being situated in the East Village, think about often since the zoning laws have changed. It's become this this palpable thing. And, and it's, you know, those two books have sort of taken on this new life as, as this the East Village and the Lower East Side becomes more and more developed. Um I mean, in terms of that's, you know, in terms of what New York can sort of bring out, I mean, there's also this wonderful sort of transgressive, dark, seedy underbelly of, of novels that have come out of that, um, like Last Exit to Brooklyn or, you know, Burroughs' Junkie or Dope or um, American Psycho, even Bright Easton Ellis's book, you know. Tom, you're nodding. I guess you like some of these books. Yeah, I, I love all of these books. And, and I was struck with uh, the, the Power Broker being... Uh, mentioned as a New York book because it is, I totally agree with you, a, 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 a brilliant biography of uh, an individual New Yorker. And it is also, in a way, a biography of a city. And I think that part of what his scholarship rests on is the notion of, or the, or the, the question of how do we understand cities. And part of the way that we understand cities is very anecdotally, that, that, the, that the city really is a collection of stories. And that that part of the way that we understand even government policies or or, or uh, approaches to rebuilding cities and and building and rebuilding cities is to actually speak to individuals and to to amass their stories sort of one by one. My personal favorite books are in the City of Fire trilogy, Kevin Baker's books. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, Strivers Row and Dreamland, but historical fiction I really love, especially when it deals with New York City. How about you guys? I I love the alienist and sometimes I'm you know I'm I'm a little embarrassed to admit that because it is kind of it's more fun and we're all supposed to be very serious you know but it's such a great historical piece and it draws such a lovely lovely picture of what New York must have been like in that era and it's also thrilling you know <laughs> Can I jump in and say, it's funny, the, the last um, five years or so, there's been a, a real renaissance of, of great um, writing about New York City, great novels. I mean, I mean, stuff like Gary Steingart's novel, The Russian Debutante's Handbook, this terrific comic vision of the immigrants' experience in this country, and, and Jonathan Lethem with The Fortress of Solitude, probably the great Brooklyn novel, at least of, of you know, the last 50 years. Um, you know, uh, art, jazz, race, graffiti, you name it. Michael Chabon, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, a great historical novel about comic book artists of the 30s and 40s. Um, and these books just keep coming. I mean, another one I, I, I'd like to mention is um, Benjamin Kunkel's first novel. It was called Indecision. And he has a great line in it. He says when he, when he got to New York, his protagonist says, I didn't pay that much attention to New York. It always seemed weirdly preconceived to me. Other people had already were already on the job. And, and this notion that this city has been looked at from so many angles in so many ways that for a young novelist to try to, to, try to get his own impressions down, it's daunting, I think. I guess one thing that occurs to me is is the, the so-called renaissance of the city and the sort of commercial vitality of the city, which in, in many ways I think is very exciting. The, the city seems very healthy, certainly in terms of crime going down uh, and not just in, in affluent neighborhoods, but throughout the city that, that, that seems like a very positive uh, trend, uh, undeniably. But at the same time, I think that there's so much emphasis on money now and so much emphasis on prosperity and a kind of hyper uh, focus on it, that I wonder if in some ways that inspires other people who are, are not so focused on money to, 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 uh, to, to in a way, uh, revive the city as a place of thought, as, as, as a place of creativity, and in, in almost in response to this kind of hyper-commercialism that seems to, to be going on. It's just, just a thought. But so capture the city as it once was. 
Yeah, or even to, to capture a different aspect of the city now, that the city is also now a place of enormous creativity and enormous thought, and that it's not all about making money, and, and that, 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 that seeing the affluence maybe inspires people who think, well, the city really is about something else, too. There's a lot to rebel against right now. I mean, I, yeah. you know, working at the Book Review, I see novel after novel after novel of, of you know, the, the young Princeton graduate moving to the city. Oh, the struggles they have, finding that apartment and, and getting the perfect cocktail downtown. And, um, you know, and there's a lot to rebel against, and these writers are. And... But you know, one of the great things about New York, I mean, as Tom knows, is there's always they're always pushing at the margins, and the artists are always coming, and, and there'll always be the other kind of experience here that'll be written about beyond just Park Avenue. And is this appealing to readers? Obviously, it is. I think absolutely. I think it's essential to the city. I think that the notion of New York as a place of aspiration, that people, the sort of, I guess, the, the classic answer to what's your favorite thing about New York, and and I. Uh, you talked about a little bit of embarrassment. You know, your answer, well, mine is, of course, the E.B. White essay that this just seems to me to, to, even now, so many years after it was written, it was first published in, in Holiday Magazine in 1949, it is so, uh, just captures the spirit of New York. And he talks about the three different kinds of New Yorkers, those people who were born here, those people who commute here on a daily basis, and those people who come from someplace else looking for something. And very often, he says, those people didn't feel like they belonged wherever they came from, Dubuque or Des Moines or wherever. And they come to New York it, trying to reinvent themselves. Uh, the, the, the last line of the first paragraph um, is no one should come to New York to live unless he is willing to be lucky. <laughs> and I think that sense, the sense that New York really is about aspiration is still true today. I have these mixed feelings about the Heroes New York essay because mm-hmm. on the one hand it is this this wonderful, you know, illustration of the city of perpetual arrival, but then he does simultaneously favor those who are coming here willing to be lucky versus those necessarily who may have been in New York for a long time. Um, and I, I just, I mean, I've been watching sort of the gentrification of the city like unfold, you know, for the past like decade or, you know, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. or what have you. And it scares the hell out of me. And I mean, mm-hmm. what what I've noticed coming out of, of New York recently is novels like Matthew Sharp, Jamestown, which got slammed in the book review, by the way. <laughs> and, and also there's another novel coming out that's an alternative history of New York called The Swing Voter of Staten Island by Arthur Nersessian. And these are mm-hmm. sort of these these apocalyptic visions sort of in keeping with, you know, Cormac McCarthy's The Road and several other novels that have come out that have been quite dark and maybe reflective of our political climate, maybe reflective of what people are thinking about the world these days. But, it, it you know, it's it's I have mixed feelings about it. Do any of you think that there is a typical New York reader? I don't. I don't. I mean, New York is just this this teeming place of so many different kinds of people and readers, but I'm curious to know what anyone else thinks. I I'm a bad person to ask just because I'm hyper aware of the the customers at St. Mark's Bookshop, but I think we might occasionally be anomalous. So my perspective of what a New York reader is is somebody who's not afraid of reading Zizek, you know? I mean, New York certainly has has more committed... knowledgeable readers, I think, than any city in this country. Obviously, I mean, you see these events people put together, whether it's 92nd Street Y or the New Yorker Festival, these things just sell out overnight. And, and people want to meet writers. They want to hear them speak. They want to know all about them. Anytime you, you get a writer into a bookstore around here, practically, you know, the bookstore fills up. And, and I just think New Yorkers are serious, committed um, followers of what's going on. The first thing that occurred to me was maybe, and this was just a, a thought, maybe there is a greater willingness to read about other uh, people, uh, 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 other experiences, that, that there's a certain bravery or a certain, uh, maybe that isn't quite the right word, but a curiosity uh, that defines a New York reader and, and, and a willingness to know 
what's going on a- outside of sort of the realm. But then I, I thought about this, th- this theme of New York books and the fact that so many New Yorkers seem to read books about New York. So maybe that isn't true at all. Maybe it is, we're all completely <laughs> self-absorbed and all we want to read about is ourselves in one form or another. So I don't know. Our producer, Jody Abergan, hit the streets to ask New Yorkers about what they're reading in New York right now. So let's take a listen to what he gathered. My name's Kay Kayachith, and I live in New York, but I'm from Texas originally. I'm reading um, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, it changes. I think during the summer I read more fiction. Um, I just I read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath recently, and I really related to that as well. But usually I read, you know, good books, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that mindless crap that people read. Hi, I'm Christina Paranello. Um, I live in East Village from New York. been here for about three years. I guess I tend to read more in the summer because you can just get outside and on the weekends instead of being cooped up in my apartment. I probably read more fiction in the summer. I like reading nonfiction usually, but, but yeah, I've been reading more fiction this summer. My name is Amir Farah. We're in Tompkins Square Park. I'm reading something called... CLR with C Sharp, which is this Microsoft thing. This is training for computer programming. So I'm a computer programmer. It, it points to the state of the economy, really, that people are sitting in the park reading about Microsoft CLR because you're constantly insecure about the next job you're going to get. Hi, my name is Michael Hondeman. I'm in the city this summer for an internship for an accounting firm. I'm reading The, uh, the Godfather Returns. It's uh, in the Mario Puzo series. Um, I read The First Godfather a couple weeks ago. It was a gift given to me before I came up here. And now I'm reading the second book. I'm, I'm actually not too big of a reader, but ever since picking up the first one, I haven't been able to put, uh, to put these books down. This is all about New York. I mean, it talks about New York in the, the 1920s, the 40s, the 50s, about how, you know, Little Italy changed, uh, Hell's Kitchen, uh, you know, the connections between Brooklyn and Staten Island, all that, what ethnicities were in what areas, some of the stories behind them, and, you know, the Italians you know, were all different, whether they were Sicilian or from northern Italy. Yeah, you do learn about um, New York and some of the history through it, as well as, uh, just, you know, who's been here and the, the different heritage that, that's the lifeblood of this city. New Yorkers talking about what they're reading this summer. Any surprises in there for you guys? Anything that you heard? Well, I just, I love that people are reading The Godfather because whenever I think of The Godfather, I think of looking for Mr. Goodbar, the book, though, <laughs> it, because in the movie version of the book, she's sort of like reading The Godfather while waiting to be picked up in a bar or something like that right before she's butchered. <laughs> so <laughs> I always like have these negative, like, well... And The Godfather, too, I know, I know a lot of well-known writers, or one or two anyway, who've said to me, you know, The Godfather, page 29, that was the sex scene that changed my life. Of course, I don't remember the sex scene. I haven't read this book since, I, you know, it meant nothing to me, but I, I need to go look at page 29 soon. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that somebody uh, talked about a computer manual that, that, that had a very broad definition of uh, what reading was, and, or, or actually a very uh, uh, direct definition of what reading was. He answered the, the question and, and wasn't talking about literature. And then I thought it was interesting that he had that sort of self-reflective comment that, that's, uh, that he thought it was uh, indicative of something about the economic life of the city, that, that, that that's what people are in public parks reading now. Speaking of manuals, if I can jump in, I mean, I, I think one of the great unsung books of New York City is, is the Zagat Guide. I mean, mm-hmm. here, here it just cracks open world after world after world after world, and it just shows you it's a snapshot of what this city is. You look at this book in 10 years, half these places could be gone, they'll be new. It, it's this slice of moment in time, and, and, it, and it opens up all kinds of worlds to you. I think it's, it's an amazing book. 
Even if we look at something like the history of subway maps in the city, it tells us a lot about yep. where the city has come. Well, what I love about the, the Zagat uh, book being mentioned as, as great literature about New York or an interesting book about New York is that that also is about New Yorkers as well as about the restaurants. It's because it's all those quotes from people. That's so a very it's good like point. sort of mini biographies of all these New Yorkers. Yep. I love the fact that this one woman in here says that. I read good books, in my opinion. I guess everybody reads good books, in their opinion, at least the ones that they like. Right. I'm all in favor of bad books. I mean, I, I love good books <laughs> as much as anyone. But you know, Nick Hornby writes this great column that runs in the Believer magazine. And he recently wrote a column about how you got to read what you want to read. And, and, you know, you can't pretend to like stuff you don't. It's not going to work out that way for you. You should always push yourself. Try to read better books, more interesting books, and know what's going on. But, you know... Grab the book you really want to read and read it. I mean, that, that, that's what you have to do. A couple of people in here said that they read more fiction in the summer. Why do you think that's the case? People read at different times for different reasons, you know, and, and summer is sort of, I don't know, historically vacation season, and you always take a few good books with you on vacation to read on the plane or to read, like, you know, during downtime in the hotel room in between whatever, you know. And, and I don't know, maybe reading fiction in the summer is a way of escaping when you can't get away, you know, versus reading something more factual or something that you feel politically responsible to read or obliged to read. One of my favorite books about New York is a guidebook. It's, it's, you talked about Zagat being a, sort of a, a great New York book, the WPA guide, again, not okay. not oh. so original, but, but just so beautifully written and, you know, I, I just I was glancing through it. I don't know if we have time to, to just read a, a very quick pa passage, but they're so beautifully written. And you just have to remember this is not a book of essays about New York. This is not presented as a kind of artistic portrait. This is a guidebook that somebody would actually use when they were coming to New York and de deciding where they want to go. And the first paragraph uh, describing Greenwich Village says, a nation coming into its own artistically after an era of ruthless industrial expansion of materialism and straight-laced conventionality seized upon Greenwich Village as a symbol of revolt in the ferment of post-war years. The village was the center of the American Renaissance or of artiness, of political progress or of long-haired radical men and short-haired radical women, of sex freedom or of sex license, depending on the point of view. Greenwich Village, actually, is a cross-section of American urban life. I just think that's like a great first paragraph in a guidebook that that's you're going to use, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely don't find that uh, in many guidebooks. <laughs> <laughs> You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and to org. I'm George Bodarki. Thanks for joining us. Today we have a panel discussion about reading in New York. I'm joined by Tom Mellons, Dwight Garner from the New York Times, and Margarita Shalina of St. Mark's Bookshop. Tom is the curator of special exhibitions at the Museum of the City of New York, I should say. I've met a number of people, and maybe you folks have as well, who have moved to New York because they read about New York in a book, and something in that book appealed to them, and so they came. Well, I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, as a child, I mean, I was born in West Virginia and then moved to Florida when I was a little older, and, and reading all of these books were set in New York, not really understanding what it meant when they would say the Upper East Side or Madison Avenue. All these things were such cultural symbols and had such meaning invested in them, and yet I think Still, for a lot of Americans, those terms, I don't think people exactly know what they do mean. I think for a lot, I would say 90% of the readership in this country, or, or let's say 50%, maybe has never been to New York or doesn't even know what this what this um, Madison Avenue or Park Place or, or Lower East Side, what these terms exactly mean. And, and there's something terrific about coming here and wandering through this neighborhood and going, my God, this is where it happened. 
You know, I've been I've been sort of flipping through Vladimir Mayakovsky's My Discovery of America, which is about things greater than New York, but there, it includes large chunks of New York history and his perceptions of New York in it. And there's this one great moment in his poem to the Brooklyn Bridge where he confuses the Hudson River with the East River, but it it sticks and it stays and it goes into fact and it goes into literary history and and it's just it's it's you know in keeping with you know i guess this sort of external perspective of what is new york and what are these neighborhoods and what are these rivers and wh- which one goes where and you know <laughs> it's it's definitely an amusing thing how that can sort of surface and and be you know distorted in a way we mentioned that crime is down here in new york city but i'm sure if a police officer wanted to put their thoughts down on paper they would have plenty to say. There are a couple of books written by either former or current police officers that I really liked. One was The Con Man's Daughter by Ed D., a former New York City police officer, and the other is Blue Blood by Edward Conlon, who's a Harvard-educated police detective. Yeah, I mean, Conlon, of course, you know, um, got started as a writer for The New Yorker and wrote those terrific pieces that, that sort of became that book, Blue Blood, which is, was a terrific book. And I, I think one of the things we're not seeing enough of in this country right now is, is, is witness and testimony from, from blue-collar workers of all stripes. I mean, you sometimes see novels set in blue-collar New York, but we don't really see the kind of memoirs that we used to see. I mean, Conlon's book is great. He went to Harvard. I mean, you don't, you don't see books like, and this is not a New York book, but it's a D- Detroit book, but um, Ben Hamper's book, Rivethead, what it was like to work on the line at GM. And, you know, I... I one thing I think we need more of in New York City literature is 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 testimony from people who who work, you know, um, blue collar jobs. Well, there is a certain brutality I think to the emphasis uh, uh, on success that exists in New York. People have have commented that in in other places you can be a small success, and in New York you're either a failure or a big success. And uh, I, I think that there are downsides to this being a city of, of aspiration and and the emphasis and and perhaps the too narrow. Uh, definition of what it means to make it in New York. I mean, you know, we, we all go to the baseball games and, and at the end of the Yankee Stadium are all sort of stirred by hearing if it's Frank Sinatra or Liza Minnelli saying, you know, uh, New York, New York and, and, and it, if you it can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But th- there is, I think, a, a kind of myopia that sets in too about what it, what it means to be successful and, and what voices don't get heard because of that obsess- uh, obsession with success. What voices do you think, Tom, should be heard more in literature? Well, uh, certainly uh, I agree that that, uh, across a kind of vocational or uh, economic spectrum, I think we need to hear from broader voices. Margarita, any thoughts on that? I guess if I was to say what voices would be, I wish were heard more, it would be I wish more people were reading poetry. And because there are so many great New York poems and there are so many great um, books of poetry written not necessarily with New York as a central character in the way that it can appear in some books, but as a gorgeous backdrop. Um, like I, I was reading Anselm Berrigan's some notes on my programming recently, and he has um, a poem about going to junior high school fifty six on the Lower East Side, which I thought was great because you know it turned out that I went there too, and you know we we were there at the same time and stuff. And to me, that's that's kind of hugely meaningful because that's somebody like from the neighborhood who wrote a poem who became an established poet of sorts and such. And I'm and the other great like book of poems that, that I've come across recently is Noel Cocott's um, Poem for the End of Time and Other Poems, which I thought was, was absolutely brilliant. And it's a eulogy for her husband told through the gentrification of Brooklyn. So it's the loss of neighborhood coupled with the loss of, of your partner and such. Um, but poetry, I wish, I wish, you know, I wish poetry were more represented, I guess, and, and I wish more people would read it. Any thoughts on why it's not? Um, I think because it, it 
requires active reading as opposed to reading for entertainment passively in the way that one would watch television, you know, and I don't mean that to sound harsh. It comes across as sounding harsh, but it's not meant to. It's just that when people read, I think a, a great many people read for the escapist quality of it, whereas poetry doesn't necessarily provide that, though poetry can provide it if you allow it. Dwight, are you a fan of poetry? I am. I, I read quite a lot of poetry. And, um, you know, it's my experience. The poetry is doing okay. I, I think that um, among the people I know and and just getting a sense of, of looking at the web and reading all the blogs, I get the sense that poetry is really talked about now. And, and God knows there, there's a lot of it published. I, I think the question now, or the, the issue is not that there's not enough poetry published in this country. It's that um, it needs... It, what does it need? I mean, the critics are reviewing it. It's harder for young poets to get to get reviewed. But somehow, the critical consensus hasn't sort of coalesced around one or two younger poets. We can all read and talk about and find some common ground. But there, there's so many poets out there that I might like a book and you might like a book, but we're talking past each other because we both haven't read it. And that's a problem, too, with, with books in general. I mean, movies are great. All your friends have seen the movie. Hey, let's go talk about this thing. But, you know, chances are, unless the book's on the bestseller list or it's really caught the culture's attention... We haven't read the same books, and, and or at least new books. And, and, you know, it can be a drag. That's one reason why books aren't talked about as much, and I think poetry has that problem. What about the funniest books that you've read about New York? My personal favorite is The Other Shulman by Alan Zweibel. I'm not sure if any of you have no. read that. He is one of the original writers for Saturday Night Live. It was about the New York City Marathon, and I laughed out loud several times. But what about you? I, I, you know, I, I've got to say, one of the books that I, I find myself reading again and again, I don't know why, I guess I like to eat, is Calvin Trillin's The Tummy Trilogy, three books. And in these books, he travels across the world, but, but the bulk of the pieces are set um, in New York City, pounding the pavement, looking for great stuff to eat. And, and his family plays uh, sort of this great cast of characters. And Trillin is always just so smart and funny about New York and, 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 and its food ways. I think of Eloise. Uh, I think of the, the first, I think it's a great opening uh, line to a, a book. I'm a city child. I live at the plaza. And and you would ask, uh, and, and then it, it closes with her talking about all the things that she's going to do during the day, including uh, pouring water down the mail chute. And, and I, uh, you asked earlier about voices we'd like to hear. I think hearing about kids' experience growing up in New York is, is always interesting. That's a perfect segue because we spoke to kids about what they're reading in New York. We sent our intrepid reporter, Lauren McGrath, over to a public library in the Bronx. My name is Jamar George. I like more mystery books, Artemis Fowl, and there was this other book that I used to read called What Eric Knew. I would read that a lot. The other things I would do is like read magazines, like skate magazine stuff, because that really interested me too. My name is Nasheed Chowder. My favorite book would be the Cirque du Freak series. I like it so much because it has some horror in it, and that's my favorite kind of genre and adventure. And the author explains everything with detail. Sometimes when I'm reading it, I feel like I'm the person. My name is Shaywan Curate Thornton. I am 15. My favorite book of all time has got to be Harry Potter. But um, I also like the series of Unfortunate Events. And sometimes I'll look at um, grown-up books, but I can't remember a lot of them. My name is Cameron Garns, and I'm age 12. My favorite book is the Warrior series by Aaron Hunter. It reminds me of my own life, and it's about cats, and I like cats. 
my mom likes that I read, but sometimes she says I read them too fast because then she has to go out and buy more. Hi, my name is Priscilla Rojas. I am nine years old. And my favorite books to read are like chapter books, like Madison Finn books, Ken Jensen, Junie B. Jones. And I read social studies books in school. It tells you the history about New York and why the, the Bronx is named the Bronx and why um, New York was named New York. Um, how did they get independence from Great Britain? And um, that's about it. It's great to hear so much enthusiasm from kids about what they're reading, huh? It is. And one of them said, said a great thing. Um, she, one of them said... Um, you know, I read these books and I feel like I am the person in the book. And, and, and you know, that that is really one definition of, of a great book that takes you inside um, another person's head. I mean, you might not care at all about the kind of characters Jay McInerney wrote about in Bright Lights, Big City, these, these cocaine-doing, nightlife-dwelling, you know, guys. But you read the first sentence, you know, you're not the kind of guy who would be at a place like this at this time in the morning. And, and you're just there. You're in that head. And, and um, that's something that everyone looks for, I think, in, in, a, in a good book. I thought it was it was so sweet that that you know that one young person said I read them so quickly and my mom gets mad and she has to buy me more. <laughs> That's very heartening. You know, go young reader. <laughs> I want to thank my guests this morning on Cityscape, Tom Mellons, curator of special exhibitions at the Museum of the City of New York. He's also the author of three books about the architecture and urbanism of New York. Tom, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Also with us this morning was Dwight Garner, senior editor of the New York Times Book Review and the man behind the Paper Cuts blog at thenewyorktimes.com. Dwight, thanks for coming in. Thank you. And finally, Margarita Shalina, small press buyer for St. Mark's Bookshop in the East Village. Margarita, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening, and thanks to our producer, Jody Avergan. Remember, you can get archives of Cityscape and find out about our podcast at wfuv.org. My name is George Bodarki. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.